Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Uh, Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, authors Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. To learn more about your hosts, visit our websites at TamaraThorne.com and AlistairCross.com. You can also give our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook alike, or visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com. And if you tweet, our Twitter handle is at thorncross. Special thanks to W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. This is a copyrighted trademarked podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Welcome to the show, everyone, and thank you for listening. Uh, we're still on the lookout for true ghost stories, so if you have one that you'd like us to open the show with, email it to us at hauntednightslive at gmail.com. By emailing, you're agreeing to our guidelines, which can be read at alistaircross.com backslash ghosts. Do not post your stories on Facebook. Email them to hauntednightslive at gmail.com. Uh, speaking of ghost stories, uh, tonight's ghost story is a little bit different. Um, it's a work of fiction titled Residue, and written by tonight's guest, Fred Venturini. Uh, Earlier, when uh, Tamara and I read this over, we were literally stunned into silence. It is that moving. It's that good. We seriously just went, whoa, this is great. This is fantastic. Uh, So without further ado, I'm going to turn the time over to my co-host, Tamara Thorne and she will read Residue. Okay, this is fantastic. Give a listen. Ammonia-based glass cleaners evaporate quickly, giving the impression that the streaks in the glass are disappearing. They're not disappearing. The paper towels scar the glass, leaving behind a history of each wiping direction, each stroke, each movement of the hand. Some people believe that newspapers are the only choice for cleaning glass, that the ink somehow aids in achieving a streak-free surface in removing the history from the glass, but it's all illusion. Only fire can clean glass. It destroys the chemicals, the oil left behind when you touch the mirror with your fingers, the contamination stuck against the mirror, such as flecks of toothpaste or the hairspray she used each morning. Her hair was a magic trick. She'd wake up while I was in the bathroom shaving, and her hair would be would be stray atop her head, her blonde locks gone awry, the slits of her tired eyes adjusting to the morning light. She would hug me, careful not to make a mess of the shaving gel clinging to my face, careful not to push her pregnant belly too hard against me. Then she would shower, <clears throat> the steam covering the mirror, um, revealing the history of our mornings together. The history etched by my right hand, which would be open holes which would open holes in the steam glass so that I could finish my shave while the heat of her shower overwhelmed the room. Alistair, take over. I've got a tickle in my throat. She'd emerge with her hair dark and wet, sticking to her shoulders in thick ropes. Then I'd get dressed and the bathroom door would close so the magic could begin. 
Before I left for work, I'd open the door and her hair would be bright and transformed, bouncing as she sculpted the style of the day. Her head always tilted, her ear glued to her shoulders as she smiled at me through the mirror. She always took a time out from her routine to hug me goodbye. During many of those mornings, we marveled at the life growing inside of her, just saying aloud, we made a baby, time and time again, trying to believe it. We were excited and scared, and our minds never truly digested the magnitude. Our friends said we never would, not until we held our son for the first time. Despite the fear, never once did I think that a doctor was going to tell me that she was gone and that the baby didn't make it, that it was a rarity, that he was so, so sorry. I went home to a box of cigars I'd never hand out, an empty house, and clumsy attempts at consolation overloading my voicemail. When the funeral was over, I didn't move from the sofa for three days, and when I did, I got into the shower and stayed there until the water ran cold, chasing me out. She had written in the glass, Hi, Daddy, probably some morning after I was gone for the day, left there for me to notice during a morning shave with her in the shower, maybe even with our son sleeping in the nursery that was now a museum of fossilized expectations. I get out of the shower most mornings and see that bathroom mirror. The hairdryer is still in the left bottom drawer of the vanity, but the only sound is that of the shower head releasing those last few drops of water. And in the mirror, there's nothing but streaks with the meat of steam on them, revealing the moment of my, the movement of my arm as I frantically wiped away the message months ago, reminding me that the mirror once had her flesh pressed against the surface. I have erased nothing from that glass. The wiping simply buried her words under my efforts to forget her, little jewels of water clinging together to reveal that nothing has died, it has only been rearranged. Whenever I see a mirror now, I breathe on it. Most of the time, I see the effort to clean it off, the trails made by a janitor's wiping motions, but sometimes I see the curve of partial letters. I never fully uncover the statements in the glass. The heat of my breath against the mirror feels like something a ghost could touch, something she could bend and twist to tell me about life and death and what our son is like. One night, I will write her a letter in our mirror. I will wet my index finger against my tongue and write it until the space is full. I will then punch the glass until pieces fall away from the wall and break them with my hands and heels and teeth until no bit remains that is big as big enough to look into and see myself staring back. Wow. Yeah. That is Our- fantastic. Yes. Very good. Go I love that. We 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 had a kind of a hard time reading that earlier today. That was really amazing, incredible. Very unique ghost story. <laughs> um so uh I uh, uh, I guess without further ado, we should introduce our guest, Fred Venturini. He was born in Patoka, Illinois, if I pronounce that right. His short fiction has been published in the book anthology Noir at the Bar 2 and Surreal South 13. His story Gasoline is featured in Chuck Polinick's Burnt Tongues collection. He lives in southern Illinois with his wife and daughter. Uh, tonight, Fred will be giving away two books, so message us on our Haunted Nights Live Facebook page or at hauntednightslive at gmail.com for your chance to win a copy of The Heart Does Not Grow Back or Burnt Tongues, uh, which is a short story collection featuring Fred Venturini's uh, short story Gasoline. Uh, Burnt Tongues is edited by Chuck Polinick, uh, the author of Fight Club. Um, welcome to the show, Fred. Well, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Hi. Um, that's a, can we first talk a little bit about that, um, about residue, that story? What's, 
That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, the one thing I remember most about it is uh, I don't remember writing it. Actually, it's a it's a small, it's a short piece. I think I might have like custom written that for like an appearance. Like when I read in public, I don't like to go too long. And attention uh-huh. spans, they don't make them like they used to. So I usually try to read short pieces, uh, and I don't have enough of those. So I think it was, obviously I think it was around the time that my wife was pregnant with our first kid. So that was me kind of working those feelings out and those fears out. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't remember writing it, so <laughs> I know so, it was around that time frame. Wow. So where did, so you, did you just like happen upon it recently? Because, I mean, you don't remember writing uh, it. Where did it? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, you know, like most writers, I had my stuff divided up into folders. I was uh, right. doing the reading in St. Louis, and I wanted to, and it was like flat, it was like a literary death match. It was like flash fiction versus poetry. There was a poet there, so I had to pick out class pieces. So I went through and I picked out a couple of my greatest hits, and I opened that one up and I read through it, and it was like a stranger wrote it. I was like, I can't believe right. this is sitting here. Like, but. You know, and then I just gave it a quick edit, printed out, and I took it. And that was the piece where we switched at the end of the night. And he read that piece, and I read one of his poems. And I remember when he was reading it, like it was this weird out-of-body experience. And everybody, there was this reaction. And the reaction was one of, like, just there's different kinds of silences. And that one right. was, like, that, that, that silence that's heavy. You know, like something's going on in that silence. And I was like, man, I right. think this is a pretty decent little piece here. So nice, yeah, that's how it was for us when we read it. I mean, <laughs> even now, it's like you read it and it takes a minute to 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 kind of it's just that's just intense. But I I did I do want to talk about your book, um, the the heart does not grow back. And you said uh, you there was to me the thing about residue, the short story that I love so much is there's a certain uh, almost poetic really. And when I was reading, you know, first I should say that um we we asked for a copy Tamara and I both asked for a copy of uh The Heart Does Not Grow Back and I was, you know, reading other stuff and you know wanting to put this book off until, you know, a day or two before, you know, showtime. And um, you know, so I'd be fresh on it and stuff like that. So I figured last Sunday I figured I'd I'd pick it up and start reading it and um, you know, read a little bit every day. So that by today, Thursday, uh, it was still fresh. But as it turns out, I started reading it and I couldn't stop and I was done. Like by the end of the night, I, it was it was insane. Insanely good book. Seriously. Um, one of the things Thank that I like yeah, about really this book. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, you're seriously. One of the things that I loved about this book that, that and, and there's a, it's a long list, but I picked like six really kind of short passages that I just thought were particularly powerful, poetic, that made me think. None of them are related to each other necessarily, but these, you know, I'm going to read these before we get into all the questions and stuff. I want to read these, these six passages that, that just, there were many, many more, but, but, but they just gave me pause and made me go, I don't know. I wish I could do that. I wish that, you know, anyway, Okay, so uh, here we go. Uh, Number one, the Carpenters, the twin girls, cheerleaders with blue eyes that could wilt any adolescent boy. Perhaps the dust of memory makes me overstate them, 
But when I think of those eyes, I think of polished stones in a creek bed, the water cold and clear. Nice. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Number, the second one. Only I saw who was really sitting next to me in that moment. All of her. Not just her face. Everything twisting me into a mistake that cost so many of us ev- so many of us everything. She left through the automatic double doors, and the sun died all around her. She looked back to wave one more time. Love it. Uh, this one, uh, the third one, very very nice. This is probably my favorite. Another curse. This one shared by everyone drawing a breath. We know what we feel, but never why. We get the raindrops, but never peek inside the clouds. Uh, number four, this one this one I loved because it's just it, it really sums up the, the character really quickly. Uh, he sat down on the empty bleachers at the end of the gym, shoulders slack, eased back, as if the school could burn down right at that second, and he'd just brush the ashes off his shoulder and ask who turned up the thermostat. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, five. This one's intense. Uh, call suicide what you want, but a cowardly act it is not. If you're not blowing your brains out, you're dying by neglect. You're ignoring that suspicious mole, or smoking, or cultivating that roll of belly fat, or eating too much sodium, or fucking without a condom, or driving without a seatbelt. Simply put, some deaths are acceptable because everyone loves salt, but most can't stand the taste of a gun barrel. And finally, this is my favorite. Doc took my hand. So what about those last words then? God damn it, I couldn't think of anything clever or funny. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath and pictured a crowd of strangers outside with chants and signs, some with words of support and some of hate. And I thought of Mac and the burning house and wondered when my life would flash before my eyes, but it already had. And it wasn't that I was given nothing to miss. It was that I had not created anything to miss. That's wonderful. Yes. So, first question. Do you know that you're brilliant when you write these things? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all happy accidents. You know, if somebody asked me what my favorite lines were, I'd probably think of something that's goofier or funnier or something like that. I think the uh, the the moving lines are – I don't know if you know you have a hit on your hand when you do it. I, you know, I don't think writing is like music in that way. Like, you always hear – certain musical artists say, oh, we know this one is a hit off this record. Right. Uh, I I never know, you know. I just right. think you aim by volume. You write as many good lines as you can, and then you hope a few of them are standouts. And, you know, a couple of the lines that you talked about, uh, I've had a few people mention those, so I know I did yeah. something right. I know I hit the target a few times. Yeah, very nice. So what... Okay, so why don't you tell us in your own uh, words very briefly a little bit about what this book is about and how it came to be. (laughs) The origin story on this one is a little longer than most books. I think a lot of times uh, you'll have a flash of insight and and then a novelist will just build off of that. You you get an idea and you get your idea. Uh, This one's a little more complicated because it was an indie novel before. So I actually had this line in my notebook for quite a while when I was younger and it was uh, right when Extreme Makeover Home Edition was, like, really hot, right? They redid right. this house every week. And I just write in my notebook, uh, guy can regrow organs and limbs, give them away on a reality show. And the thought was, like, Extreme Makeover Transplant Edition with the same guys. <laughs> and uh, 
part of that was like a rebellion against there was too much regeneration and healing in like movies now, especially all the comic book movies. Uh, all it does is make characters more durable so you can jack up the CGI budget and have cooler fights. There's really no gravity to the healing process. So that's what right. I really wanted to explore. It was kind of my grounded superhero idea, but I really couldn't write it for a long time because I couldn't figure out the most important part of any log line, and that's who it happens to. And uh, when I started to experiment with that in my fiction classes, I was doing my MFA, and I wrote this as a short story. And it was kind of a dissection of friendship between Mac and Dale. And the right. complaints about that short story were too much summary. It needs to be longer. It's a cool idea. It needs to be longer. Unpack it. Maybe you have your novel here. So I listened to them, and I wrote it longer, and it turned into a novel, and it turned into an indie novel, and then that turned into The Heart Does Not Grow Back. Nice. Very nice. Um, do you do you have a favorite scene or or – if you could choose your favorite scene, what did you have the most fun writing or, you know, what was the, what was the best part of this for you? Um, you know, uh, when I start a work, I, I don't do an outline. I do a beach. Heat. I do the big scenes that I want to do, right. The, the, in the, the act breaks and the midpoint, like when you know right. you're about to turn into that third act a little bit. Uh, for me, the favorite parts are the ones that, survived from my first draft through the Samaritan, through the heart does not grow back. And gosh, I can't believe I have to say this, but it's like the shooting scene, it's like mm-hmm. the chaotic scenes. You know, it's, it's almost like I liked the violent scenes, like with the toaster and stuff, mostly because I felt like I had done the work to earn them. <laughs> right. You know, it's kind of like a treat. Because yes. crazily enough, all my short fiction is really, really kind of in your face and it's horror story based. But my longer stuff, I don't really, I don't think I can usually carry that kind of suspense or violence for that long. So right. they become like character pieces. And then when I get to the, so like the violent parts are kind of like the treats. Like, oh, good. I get to beat somebody up. Right. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I did. I love the whole toaster thing. That was cracking me up. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Great. Very nice. Um, well, I've actually been hit by a toaster, so I did the research yeah, on that. So. <laughs> That was actually my next question. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it seems so, random, but it's not. No. Yeah. Um, before we go any further, I just want to remind everybody that we are talking to Fred Venturini. He is the author of The Heart Does Not Grow Back. And we are also giving, he's giving away uh, two books uh, one copy of The Heart Does Not Grow Back, and also a copy of um, uh, Burnt Tongues, which is a short story collection uh, edited by uh, Chuck Polinick, uh, the author of Fight Club. And in Burnt Tongues, we have a short story. There's a short story from uh, Fred Venturini in there called Gasoline. So if you want to win, uh, e- you know, uh, one of those, you can email us on our Facebook page uh, at our Haunted Nights Live uh, Facebook page or you can email us directly at uh, hauntednightslive at gmail.com. Um, Fred, when you said, you mentioned the Samaritan, and um, as I said, I I was living in uh, St. Louis a few years ago, and I remember seeing the Samaritan. I, re- I remember the press that, that, uh, that you were with. And I do remember seeing the Samaritan, and I did not make that connection. I just saw it floating around. And then when I started looking you up, I realized, oh, my gosh, this is the same guy. This is the same book. So how did how did this book go from being 
the Samaritan uh, with that uh, press in St. Louis to being, you know, what it is today? Well, here's how it goes. I do Blank Slate Press is about to emerge in St. Louis. I'm in my writing program at Lindenwood University in St. Charles, Missouri. And part of the reason that you do an MFA program is not just the critique and everything else. You do a lot of networking. You make friends. I mean, there's several friends from that class. I'm probably going to see them this weekend. So, yeah. you know, word got to Blank Slate Press, hey, because Blank Slate, when they started, they were like, we're looking, we're, we're looking to make a regional hit. We're not going to spread ourselves too thin. If you have a really successful indie book in the greater St. Louis region, it'll get the, you know, attention and traction it deserves. Maybe you jump up to another level and, you know, and we're this uh, really functional farm system for like the Yankees, something like that. Right. So what really appealed to me was that local focus, which seemed like it was a good use of resources, and the fact that they were like, you know, we don't just want to keep you as an author. We want you to go on to the next level if you can, you know, that kind of thing. So right. uh, it was attractive to me. And the other thing that was attractive was they're like, hey, we know you're not done with your book yet, but we want the book. Probably nice. halfway through the first draft when uh, when they signed me up, and I kind of threw caution to the wind with it. It was definitely we were taking chances with each other. And uh, we took a chance at each other, and so far it's worked out pretty good because Samaritan comes out. It made a top ten indie books of the year list in Shelf Magazine, and then the USA Today ran that list. And that's when the agents nice. started calling. So nice. I was like, holy smokes. And I mean some really legit agents and agencies. I was like, holy, you know, I, I thought she had to query a thousand times to get this kind of attention. Right, right. So one, <laughs> one of the agents, everybody wanted my next thing. One of the agents, Kirby Kim, who I'm with now, Jank Lowen Nesbitt, shout out. Uh, he was with WME at the time. He said, you know, since this was a regional hit and it's this small indie novel and it doesn't have this super huge audience, it's, sh- it's such a juicy hook. I think we can repackage this and we can, we can try and find a bigger audience for it. Nice. Uh, so what writer doesn't want to hear, hey, something you've already written, let's sell it again. Right. 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 So, <laughs> but you know, there were, you know, a couple of years had passed, and we talked about the book, and uh, it was never presented to me as, look, it doesn't have enough commercial appeal. You got to change this stuff. It was more of, if you had a chance to revisit this, what are your regrets? What would you do differently? That kind of thing. Right. But strangely enough, as the years have gone by, two, I think about two years since it went once it came out. I was like, you know, I'd like to do this ending instead. And the ending that's in the heart does not grow back is the is the catalyst for me saying, yeah, let's do this. Let's revisit the manuscript and, and see what happens. It was a lot of fun. You don't get a chance to do that. You know, writers can can rewrite forever. Sometimes you don't want to buff all the way down to the metal, you know what I mean? But in this right, case, right. I wanted to install that new ending, and then I had a couple of new plot twists, new character, and it just happened. You know, it just kind of happened. And uh, gave it to Kirby, and he said, hey, I think you did the work here. I'm proud of what you did. Let's go nice. see if there's any nibbles. And we uh, had some offers, and Figador got it, and it's been a ride ever since. Nice. Right. Congratulations on that. That's incredible. No, thank um, you. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Also, you, you mentioned uh, St. Charles. That's exactly where I lived. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you see. Small I lived world. on Hot Mess Drive. <laughs> Yeah, the only thing I can find in St. Charles is Lindenwood, and yeah. the uh, <laughs> and the quick trip across the street. 
where I had taquitos right. like every night. <laughs> nice. I, I, are you going to consider a sequel? Uh, yeah. You know, I think it's like this cool literary thing to say, I've told my story. Like, that's it. <laughs> and, and I'm not like that. I was like, I've got – one of the cool things that happened was there was a little bit of TV interest. And it didn't really get any traction past the uh, – there was a producer, there was a writer, and it didn't get past, like, the agents. It didn't get past that upper pitch level, right? It kind of lost the spirit of the story. But I made this great relationship with a really good TV writer. And uh, we actually – we talked together, and we mapped out, like, five seasons of this thing. We unpacked this story in every direction. And he's so good, and we're still very good friends, and we – bounce our ideas off each other and, you know, look at drafts and stuff like that. But we went through such a process with that. that I was like, man, there's a lot more cool stories to tell. So, yeah, I've got the seeds of a sequel idea. It's not like a guarantee, but it's like here's where I would kind of start exploring it. Yeah. And uh, I got a couple of books in the hopper, and, like, one of them, I hate to say this, but it's like there's a cool character I created, and I want him to exist in the same universe, kind of like a Marvel thing. <laughs> I, hate, uh-huh. I really hate to yeah, say yeah. that, but maybe like a Stephen King thing. All his novels are connected, <laughs> and I feel we like the, the world with Dale Sampson yeah. has another dude in it, you know, that kind of thing. Right, so, right. I think that's pretty common. We do that. I actually, I we, we've actually been doing that with almost everything that we've written. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. fun challenge, and it rewards, you know, a reader of like, like, like I have a draft of a book right now, and if somebody read The Heart Does Not Grow Back and they read this one, like the end is going to be even crazier for them. So we're like, holy crap, what if these yeah. two guys <laughs> ran into each other? That kind of thing. So I always think that's really cool, and I never shut the door on continuing the story. Yeah, it's great keeping the world alive that you write in. I love doing that. Now, I want to yeah. ask a gross question. Um, <laughs> what kind of research did you do when you, about buying and selling body parts? And what are the, some of the most interesting things you learned? You know, I uh, <clears throat> that's one of those things. Sometimes for just a few pages, you do a ton of research. <laughs> I did research to the point where I thought I might have, like, a federal marshal at my door. <laughs> like, I mean, I had called around. I just pretend like I wanted to sell one, you know. So, uh, right. But there was, there was a lot of really good books on it. And I think the craziest thing that came out of that research was I didn't know how broken our organ donation system is, like, in this country. Huh. I didn't know that it's not just organ donation that's a problem. We don't have enough cadavers for doctors to practice on. So there's a market for, like, dead bodies. Yeah. Like, you know, just knees to work on and, and, and feet and cadavers and stuff like that. Because think about it. Uh-huh. It's a supply-demand thing. Nobody is giving their body up for science. Everybody's either getting cremated, what a waste, or getting buried. So that was the craziest thing, I think. Uh-huh. Interesting. Wow. So, um, on an, on another note, um, you uh, this this uh, burnt tongues uh, thing, uh, gasoline, and you uh, I see pictures of you doing book signings and hanging out with Chuck Palahniuk. What's that all about? How does that how's that working? Well, Chuck I mean, are you the, ever uh, like, are you ever like are you, do you ever like go oh oh my god I'm 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 hanging out with the guy who wrote Fight Club. <laughs> Yeah, 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 a lot, actually. I know, right? uh, You know, Chuck is, if you talked about, talk to me five years ago, uh, like, who who are you a hardcore fan of? 
it's like, oh, Chuck Palahniuk and Stephen King. <laughs> and they're two very different authors. Right? Oh, yeah. Chuck is very minimalist, very short books, very transgressive. Stephen King is like longer form. He likes to really unpack his characters. Yeah. And, you know, with, with Chuck, you have something happen in every single line. With, with Stephen King, you have something happen in every page, kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but that, you know, it, it's nice to kind of spread your wings that way and have a couple of different flavors, so to speak. But uh, it's kind of a – people think I make this story up. Really didn't make this story up. The, the, here's kind of like a real quick summary of how this happened and how crazy it is. He's on his tour for Snuff back in 2009. Right. Goes to St. Louis. And I'll never forget it because I was sick as a dog. I had a fever. And my workshop friend said, look, you're going to regret it if you don't go and meet Chuck. Right? Like, all right. So drag myself there. I've got the chills. I'm sick. I'm jacked up on drugs. Wait in this long line. I've never seen a reading like this. Just incredible. How many people are there, the way that he conducts the reading. I get up there and I meet him. And he's writing in the book, and I talk about, hey, I'm doing my MFA program, and he's very engaged and writes something very specific about my MFA program in the book. And, uh, you know, basically says, hey, maybe we'll hear from you again sometime. You know, keep writing, that kind of thing, very encouraging. So that night, I go home. It's like 3 in the morning. I I wake up with the chills again. I can't sleep. And I sit down at the computer, and I write gasoline. And it's this huge, long draft, and I don't finish it until like 6 in the morning. It's the first and last time I ever did something like that. And uh, I worked on it, submitted it in a workshop. And then I saw that it was like, it was on Chuck's website. They were kind of putting this anthology together through the Chuck Pollock workshop that's on his site. And I had had some activity in that, which drastically dropped down when I actually had my MFA program going down. But I put that story in there. And I put another story in there called Love and Standard Definition, which was the Samaritan short story. Both of them made it to Chuck. I got notes from both those stories. The one eventually became the Samaritan said, basically what I heard all along, uh, there's too much summary here. This should be a longer piece, which was cool. I was like, good, because I've already kind of written a novel based on the story. That's how long the lag time was with that. Uh, Gasoline... Eventually, you know, one of the rewards is you get notes from Chuck. This is awesome. You're shooting hoops with Michael Jordan here. Uh, But the real treat was when they found a buyer for this collection, out of all the stories that he had had gotten to him, it was like five per month for a year out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of submissions. I want to say 15 or 20 they thought were going to make it in this collection. And gasoline made it into the collection. And it comes out two months before my novel comes out. And then he's inviting, you know, very few authors off of the burnt tongue list to come and meet him in certain locations. I think there were four of us. Uh-huh. And what was cool was I had a book coming out. So like, I got to do this. It's a logical choice. Oh, yeah. he's, you know, I've, I'm one of the people in the collection with a book coming out. I really hope this happens. It happened. And it was one of the greatest nights ever. And I got to go up to him and he's like, pleasure to meet you. And I was like, aha. We've met before, but you don't remember because I was just a goofy fan back then. And I told him the story, and he thought it was awesome. And we had a great time. It was really, really nuts. And when it was over, I think I did okay. I really connected with the audience really well. I kind of catered my entire, I guess I'll call it a performance, to that Chuck Palahniuk crowd. But when it was done, 
talk about helping a guy out. He says, your publisher, if they send you to the Pacific Northwest where I'm from, I'll introduce you at your event. So a couple months later, I was at Powell's in Portland for like Fred Venturini featuring special guest Chuck Palahniuk. So you want to talk about nuts. Uh, And like there was a huge crowd there and like nobody's there to see me. They're all there to see Chuck. But once I was there, they treated me really, really great. And it was another super memorable night. So you can never pay a Chuck Palahniuk back for that. You you can really really pay it forward. I hope I get to that point where I can pay that forward. You know, it was a very uh, generous thing that he did. Very nice. I think that that's uh, I like that story. It's uh, um, it reminds me of you, Tamara. <laughs> she's helped me, she's helped that reminds me, me of way. Oh, that's you get pleasure out of helping someone. That you know, don't do it for them. You do it for yourself. I think. I don't know, but Chelsea it's cool though. When, it's cool though when somebody does that. You know. Yes, it, it is. They help you along. I love it. Um, I want to ask something else that told us about. Um, you were set on fire when you were young. Can you tell us about yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, it's the story. Uh, it's the story. Of gasoline, huh? Uh, I guess it's a good time to mention. Yeah. I was yeah. I was set on fire when I was about ten years old. It was a long recovery process, and I, it seemed like I just couldn't avoid catastrophic injuries. Once I was done recovering completely from the burns. Uh, My friends got in a car accident and I'm breaking my neck. It was just, I could never stay healthy when I was in my teenage years. You broke your neck? Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was just like a collar for a few months, but it was like a C1 (laughs) fracture. (laughs) You are no big deal. You just Uh brush it off, right? Uh, But, yeah, so obviously it wasn't a good memory being on fire or having these scars. But you get to the point where you wouldn't have it any other way. You know, you don't know how things would have turned out if that didn't happen, what kind of person you'd be. Yeah. It becomes such a part of you. And I wrote an essay about it, and I remember the last line. is like, no boy exists except the one who walked through that door into that garage and got burned that day. Uh, and ever since right. that happened, a lot of my friends were always like, hey, you're a writer. You should write about that. And I'm like, mm. it just it doesn't seem like an interesting story to me. It's like, Kid gets burned, he's the good guy. Kid burned him, he's the bad guy. And it was just too stock, too personal. But that night, inspired by, like, the transgressiveness of the Chuck Palahniuk reading, and Donald Ray Pollock was there as well, uh, who read a big story, uh, I decided to try the story where the victim is the bad guy. The kid who gets burned is just as bad as, like, the future serial killer who burns him. So uh-huh. it turns in this really dark, transgressive story to the point where I remember Chuck's notes on it. It was kind of like, you sure you don't want, like, one happy thing to happen? You know? So when Chuck Palahniuk, who is some people call nihilistic, is, is uh-huh. telling you that your stuff is too dark, I was like, <laughs> might have done something here. Maybe I should leave it as it is. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of channeled that memory into uh, into gasoline with a twist. Everybody's oh. gonna read that and think it's biographical and be like, "Man, the burn kid's an asshole." So. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, for anybody who's just joining us, we are talking to Fred Venturini, author of "The Heart Does Not Grow Back." 
Uh, if you're interested in getting a copy of this book, uh, messages uh, uh, on our Hundred Nights Live Facebook page, or directly at Hundred Nights Live at gmail.com for your chance to win. Um, uh, Fred is also giving away one copy of Burnt Tongues, which is a short story collection featuring Fred Venturini's story Gasoline, which is edited by Fight Club author Chuck Polinick. Um Going back to the very, very, very beginning of all this, at the very root of it, uh, as far back as we've gone is just you you wrote down uh, a guy regenerates limbs, starts selling them on you know reality TV. But what what made you even think? What what even inspired the idea of writing about a person who could regenerate their body parts? And what kind of stuff did you learn trying to? I noticed that in the book you talked about like how. Um, you know, certain uh, reptiles can do that, of course, and uh, even embryos. Uh, so first, this is kind of a two-part question. First, where did this idea originally come from at its very root? And secondly, what kind of stuff did you learn about, you know, actual regeneration as you researched? <laughs> well, uh, here's the thing. I kind of did it reversed. I My research was being hurt a lot, having several surgeries, recovering for a long, long time, you know, and uh, anybody who's been through physical therapy knows that healing can really, really hurt. It's not a fun thing. And so, like, when you're burned and you have, like, scars on your face, like, the, the dream that you have when I'm in the mid-90s and, I, and the burns look a lot worse than they do now, especially before, like, the tissue expansion and stuff, you dream that you can just regrow it, you know, like... Uh, right. Dark, dark man. That's like if you're a kid who's been on fire and you turn on the TV and Dark Man is on TBS, you're like, this is like a burned superhero. This is great. But his superpower is he can kind of regrow his skin and look like anybody, you know? So I just became fascinated with healing from injuries. It was something that I wish I could do. And I did it, but it just took a long time, you know? And so I was programmed that way when I'm exposed to media which I'm not a comic book fan, but I like to watch all these comic book-based media and movies. They right. really don't, they, you know, someone gets hurt, and I'm always like, ooh, I, you know, I broke my rib. That, how are they walking? What's going on here? There's just <laughs> no weight given to the healing process. Uh, the most that you'll get is like a montage, like a rehab montage. You know, it's, it's like Steven yeah. Seagal gets hurt really bad, and in five frames, he's even more awesome than he was before. <laughs> so, so I was basically just kind of taken like, you know, it's like what, if, cause it's a Wolverine power. What if Wolverine could steal from anything, but it took a long time. He'd be very vulnerable. He'd be very depressed. He'd be very messed up. You know, he'd get sick of all the healing. Even now is, as cool as Wolverine is. He still is like, man, I can heal from anything. I'm like a mortal and stuff. Uh, He's kind of <laughs> down about it. Uh, yeah. And then just to layer into that, as I drafted the book over and over again and the superhero boom rose even higher, I thought that wave would have crested by now, but it hasn't. I sort of wanted to deconstruct some of those things in superhero media. Even though it's not a straight superhero book, the one thing that I noticed about our superheroes, we're very lucky because the right guy always gets the power. Like Peter Parker gets the Spider-Man power, not the really, really bad kid in class not the depressed one or the lonely one or the arrogant jock who's going to use it to smash the football team 
the exact right guy gets the power. You know, and it happens over and over and over again. And I was like, you know, if this is really random, how about the busted kid gets the power? You know, that, that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to give the wrong person the power. And the most real reaction, we have the superpowers. Ask somebody what they do if they were invisible. They sure don't say save the world. I'm going to go right. rob a bank. I'm going to go in the girls' locker room. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you give somebody a superpower, they try to exploit it for fun or profit. And that's what Dale Sampson does. Right. And it's almost the only thing he can do because he can't go out on the streets and start whipping people. He'll, get, he'll recover, but not quick enough to win the fight. Right. So, so that's yeah, that's kind of like the evolution of the idea there. So I think it's what makes uh, novels rich when you just build them over time. And all of a sudden, in this one novel, I've kind of moved on friendship and high school and a little bit of, like, the impact of bullying and the school shooting issues and superheroes. So when people ask me, like, what genre is, I was like, I don't know. I'm glad yeah. I'm not in charge of shelving it. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the interesting things that you learned about? Was there anything like kind of creepy or unusual or unexpected that you learned about creatures or embryos <laughs> that actually do regenerate well, them? <laughs> I think that before, I think before I die, we'll be growing uh, organs and limbs in a test tube. Oh, really? I mean, I'm already, I'm already seeing now that they're making like a, like a skin paste out of stem cells where if I got burned today, oh. Well, maybe not today, but maybe a year from now or two years from now, they're going to put this paste of skin cells on your face, and it's going to grow back even better, it maybe even close to perfect. Uh, <laughs> all of the there's so many animals that can do this, and here's the crazy part. I think I read this correctly. I think the one where infants, if you have like a if an infant loses a finger, I think they regrow it. I think we have this regenerative capability, and then we lose it. And that's why stem cells and stem cell research is so important. It's a very regenerative substance. Uh, right. So, yeah, I just kind of, it's nothing that's not out there biologically. And I remember one note I got from my editor was some guy, I think there's a full leg transplant in the book. Yeah. At some point yeah. it was. I think it made it all the way in. But yeah. it was like, this is way too over the top. No one could do a full leg transplant. I was like, they just did one last year. They did the first one, like in Europe or something. They did a full leg transplant. Huh? Yeah, so, wow. It's almost like I feel like this book is just going to be, someone's going to read it 20 years from now and say, what's so special about this guy? I can just go to the <laughs> organ bank and grab a grab an organ right now. And uh, yeah. Yeah. so that's, that's part of like the, the sequel idea. You know, it, I feel like that if we had a guy like that, that's the missing link. That's what makes him so valuable. Right. Right. Very nice. Um, yeah, that I think that'll be fantastic. I actually look forward to that. I've I've read a little bit about the stem cell research and stuff like that. And I mean, think of all the people with, you know, diabetes and stuff. They could get new pancreases, and you know, it's just you know, I think that it's a, a really fascinating thing. And I hope that we do go that direction. Um, oh, my, my veterinarian was doing it. He he re, he studied stem cell research. Amazing things he could cure in animals because of it. Yeah, really? yeah. some people say. Some people, I read it somewhere. You know, people ask me where I hear stuff. Like, I read it. I don't really write down my sources. I remember reading things. But, you know, as I'm planning for retirement, I'm planning, like, living to 150. I think that we're going to have this medical renaissance where it's almost going to be like, you're going to go in and they're just going to replace old cells with new cells. This type of uh, rejuvenation can take place in the future. It's that exponentiation thing. 
it's like when we were mapping the human genome, uh, when we were eight years into that, we were 1% done. And the guy in charge wow. said, we're right on schedule because once you hit 1%, then the next year it doubles and then it doubles and then it doubles. Uh, it's that exponentiation, my, that momentum uh, of technology and science, how it goes from, I think what's the, and there's some sort of rule that even says now our processing power doubles every four years. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm an optimist. I think that all this stuff is going to happen and all of these diseases and stuff, our biggest problem is going to be population, food, things like that. So right, that right. Yeah. I feel like I'm a sci-fi author right now, but, uh, <laughs> well, the, the, the book is the heart does not grow back. And it is one of those few books that I've sat down and just opened and thought, yeah, I'll browse through it. And over the space of the next week, I'll, I'll finish it. And I just, I couldn't put it down. I was totally stunned. I love this book. I recommend it to anyone, not just, you know, people who are, it's just, it's a fantastic book because as well as all of this, you know, regeneration stuff and sciencey stuff, there's also a lot of fun stuff like with the reality show stuff. And also, the other thing I noticed about this book that that I loved about it is it's really heavy and and um, it's really heavy on on relationships. It's and and they're realistic, uh, powerful relationships. Um, one of my favorite relationships in this book is that between Dell and his best friend Mac. I actually really 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 liked Mac. I thought he was fantastic. <laughs> I love that guy. Um, <laughs> What would you say inspired the dynamic of that relationship for, for you? Where did that begin for you? Who is Mac? <laughs> uh, Mac, it, you take all of all of my friends, all of the crazy things they've said or done, like that 1% crazy out of every friend I've got, and you roll it into one guy, right? Like right. Mac uh-huh. Tucker, any single one of them kind of blush. Yeah. So that, that's, kind of, that's kind of what it is, you know. Uh, and what the funny thing with Mac is uh, – <laughs> I've got some goofy, crazy friends. Everybody I talk to <laughs> thinks they know, oh, Matt Tucker's this guy. Oh, it's this guy. Oh, it's this guy. It's like, well, yeah, it is, but it's not. It's like there's right. so many little anecdotes and lines and stories. It's just a really rich composition of the, the friendships that I've had growing up. You know, and a lot of people think that Mac is a caricature or their friendship is forced, but <laughs> go through high school with a guy like that or you know, a guy like Dale, a guy like Mac. There's people like that, and that's kind of how guy relationships are a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. So, it didn't feel that way. Crazy it didn't feel that way to me at all. No, just some of the. Uh, I don't know where I heard it or anything, but some people have mentioned something to that effect. Maybe yeah. on my Google alerts, I make the mistake setting up a Google <laughs> alert for myself. Uh, and I did it like with blank slate, and you're lucky if you get a result like every week or two. Yeah. And now I get one. And then when you see like the bad review or something, you can't help but click on it. Everybody says they'll read the reviews, but that's part of the fun. You got to click on it, read it. And yeah. oh, Mac is a caricature. Or my favorite one, people that say all of these characters are unlikable. Right? Oh, that's not true. Uh, what, <laughs> I, like I don't even. I don't even think. It doesn't matter to me if it's true or not. Every one of them, I think, is unlikable at some point. Just like yeah. every other person, you know, just if you like, want likable yeah. people, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, you know, that's the thing. And they're unlikable and unrealistic. If, if you're reading fiction, you want realistic people, go to the line at McDonald's, go to the mall. You get plenty of real people. <laughs> yeah. I'm not in the business of real people. I'm in the business of right? interesting people. Yeah. 
Well, I like I yeah. like Mac. It feel that way to me at all. I thought he was fantastic. I, I thought he was really well drawn. I thought they were, and their 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 uh you know synergy was great. I loved it. I also liked the twins. Okay. Um, what can you tell us about Regina and her sister? Uh, you know, one last thing about Mac Tucker here. In the Heart Does Not Grow Back, he's dialed up to about a seven point eight. In the Samaritan and the early drafts, he's dialed up to about eleven. <laughs> so I've noticed as I went through draft by draft and I got into my 30s, you know, I started this when I was like 27, 28. Uh, and as I rewrote it after home life, marriage, having a kid, it seemed like I was dialing Mac down a little bit more each time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you want the full throttle Mac Tucker experience, there's some eye popping lines in the Samaritan, I'm pretty sure. So there was some of them I was reading them. I was like, holy crap. I put this out with Samaritan. This, is, this guy's nuts. What is going on here? So, uh, twins-wise, this is a this is an interesting story because I wrote the earliest draft without them as twins. Okay, really? Uh, they weren't twins. They were just sisters. So I go to my trusted readers, of which I have a few. And one of the suggestions was like, hey, did you think about maybe making a twin? That would make it even crazier and even weirder. It's almost like seeing a ghost, you know? Cool. I was like, you know, my hesitation with that is I went to high school with a pair of twins, and I dated one of them, and I just really don't know if I want this kind of baggage in the book here. Right. But <laughs> I thought that I would try it, and I wrote it as twins, and I was like, man, I really like this as twins. So, and the crazy part is the the, the twins' mother – Shows up at like every one of my readings or events, every book that I have. Oh. Out, she's a great fan of mine, and you know I lo- love her, love the family. So it was, it's all cool. That's at least good. But you always have to be cognizant of that, especially your early stuff. You feel like you're the only people are going to buy it are your like aunts and friends and family. So you're like, man, I really have my eye on what people are going to think of this. But right. that was in the Samaritan process. I feel far more confident now. I throw more caution to win. I really don't care about that stuff as much, so it is what it is. But it's always interesting when the twins come up. Yeah. Yeah, there it's and that, you know, I obviously it's always you know, we're always walking that line of not giving away spoilers and stuff, but that twist that you did, that was fantastic. I I didn't see it coming. I was like, What? That was oh. great. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I see well, everything. My favorite thing is you nice. say you, you say twist, I think like which one is he talking about? The early one? Or like the later one, there's, um, there's well, a little bit of twistiness to it. So, yeah, there's there are quite a few, but the one that what specifically I mean the the the, the twist with the twins toward yeah, the end. Yeah, yeah, right? I didn't. Yeah, I and that's the new one. Thing. That was uh, yeah. That was a heart does not grow back exclusive. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. Well, it was well done. I loved it. So another thing that this that this book uh, touches on is reality television. Um, the we're we're always interested in other writers what they have to do for research and stuff like that and we one thing i definitely wanted to ask you that we already did was the research you did on the buying and selling of body parts <laughs> another uh thing i want to be sure to ask you is what what kind of uh research did you do on reality television did you learn anything interesting there <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I, I heard a story about Stephen King in the writers room of under the dome like they come in with this big binder and they start flipping through the pages and it's like all this scientific stuff as like how the climate would be under the dome, how, you know, how things would work in this compressed environment 
how how rain would happen, the temperature, the airflow, you know, all this stuff. And he goes, guy, you know you can just make this stuff up. <laughs> so what I did at first with the reality TV stuff, I just made it all up. And then I went back, and I, I find that this is a really cool way to do it. Make it up. And then when you do your research, you will find that you got a few things right, you know? So yeah. I made it up to to – become the story I wanted to become. And then I read just a few books on behind the scenes of reality TV, how things are cut together, how unreal it really is, how packaged yeah, yeah. it really is, right. how manipulative, uh, how manipulated the, the people on the show really are. And then all, all that turned into is a couple of death lines or passages here and there to kind of add some uh, authority to the occurrences. And, yeah. You know, when I got my, my TV writer friend over in L.A., he's like, dude, you nailed reality TV and you nailed L.A. You know, what the crazy nice. thing is I present Los Angeles as a caricature of Los Angeles. But the, here's the here's the little secret. If you go to Los Angeles, it's exactly what you think it is. You go right. in the bar and it's the bearded hipster guy that I don't work at the bar. I've got a screenplay. I'm an actor. Nobody <laughs> works at what they're actually doing. <laughs> Every coffee shop has laptops open at all times. Everything you think LA is, it is. So you have no I choice but to yeah. honestly represent it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. I live there. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. You you take your laptop to Starbucks so that people can see that you're writing. Yeah, the first I writing think. tip because I was like, I'm going to do some. You know, I'm I'm at the hotel. I'm going to go go do some writing. Right in your hotel room. Everybody at the coffee shop is not an actual writer. They're just pretending. Oh. Because that's, that's the shirt. So, because they're just everywhere. You, everywhere there's open laptops, and you feel like somebody's just going to run up to you and just give you a script out of their trunk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, before we, we're, we're getting close to being um, out of time, um, what are you working on now? Yeah. <laughs> kind of just rotating rewrites. Of various books, you know. The thing is, I went through this process with the Samaritan, and the heart does not grow back and stuff. But I never stopped like writing new stuff. So I just had, like three novels in like the middle draft stage. So yeah. this is when it's handy to have an agent because you're like, uh, dude, pick one, and I'll finish it. Uh-huh. So that's a good uh, idea. <laughs> and he, he's a great reader. And uh, you know, just the other day, I hand him in, I hand him this like 120,000-word manuscript. And I think that this is the second draft, you know, because I was like, I'm going to give this to you early because we talked about this concept. I'm like, and basically it's like nothing is going to survive. But I'm excited about that. You know, I'm excited about the different directions that the story's going to take and things like that. So, I, yeah, three different novels in progress. Hopefully one of them will get to the finish line so I can capitalize <laughs> on the momentum yeah. we have going on here. I feel like I have momentum, which is good. And all yeah. the, the the calls and the meetings that I've had, we've had some movie interest, some really strong movie interest on it. Right. Uh, nothing official, but there's a director I really, really respect and I really am excited about. He wants to produce and direct, and he's one of those guys that you're like, I don't want to get my hopes up, but I think that he can get this done. He's that kind of guy. Yeah. So nice. oh, great. Ho- hopefully something official sometime this year would be phenomenal. Uh, movies are almost my first love, like, I would probably be more excited to have an adaptation than to have another book deal. So, right, uh, right. Looking forward to that. But yeah, I think I'm just gonna, you know, that's the advice. It's the advice when you're 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 or 35. 
any stage in this particular game, the advice is always the same. Nose down, work hard, keep writing, on to the next thing, you know. As long as you love the process, don't worry about the results. You're going to have a good time, and you're going to get some breaks. So that's the thing. Just keep going. Right. I think that's fantastic advice and uh, very true. And you'd be, um, you'd be surprised how many times I have to repackage that advice, too. It's like nobody seems to want to hear that. Like I'm taking questions, uh-huh. like what's the secret? Write a bunch of right. stuff. And exactly. then, yeah. well, the and then write more you, stuff. Yeah. If you lose a lot of weight, people want to know. If you lose a lot of weight, people want to know what pill you took. And if you say, you know, oh, I started eating less and moving more, they just glaze over. They don't want to hear it. (laughs) Oh, that's too hard, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd you lose weight? Deadlift. I'm not picking up heavy stuff. Exactly. Whoa. I'll just walk. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Um, It has been a pleasure and an honor to have you. I I love. Your book, The Heart Does Not Grow Back we by Fred Vecchini. Yes, we both do very much. Um, I strongly recommend it to anyone. It's it's a it's beautifully written, powerfully. It's just a great, great story. Um, uh, as a final note, we have our, our winners, and I cannot get into my email because my uh, computer's being doing something. So I'm going to – what we'll do is after the show, Fred, uh, later t- tomorrow probably – or later tonight, we will email you uh, the winners and the information, and we'll take care of it that way. I can't really announce anybody right now. But um, on a final note, uh, Tamara and I are in the very final edits of The Cliff House Haunting, which is the very first novel uh, story concept that we uh, decided to write together. It actually began uh, about two years ago. Yep. Yep. It began about two years ago and we put, you know, we put some, we, you know, uh, did some other things in the meantime, but it is finished and it is going to be available in, in March and we will soon have our cover art, which is absolutely gorgeous. And I can't wait to start showing it off. Um, and that will be in the middle of March. I'll be ready until then. Um, the fifth installment of the ghost of Ravencrest serialized novel, uh, titled night moves is available um, be sure to get that if you haven't yet and if you haven't started the series it begins with uh, uh, Darker Shadows which is an omnibus <laughs> form of the first three I know the first three the first three uh, installments um, those are available on Amazon and Red Book is available everywhere too. yes yes um, so uh, that being said thank you again Fred Venturini for being with us tonight uh, give our best to Chuck. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate being on. This was a blast. And it oh, is yeah, kind of surreal that I have Chuck's email address. I have to just resist, like, emailing it too often, so. Right, right. <laughs> Believe me, I know. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I still, to this day, working with, because I was a fan of Tamara's in the 90s. You know, I, I, I was reading her stuff and loving it, and uh, to this day, sometimes I kind of get that, you know, Oh my God, I'm I'm working with you know Tamara Thorne and you know you know I know what you mean. It's cool though. It's cool, and I love I love you know hearing stories like that because it's it's my experience too. It's fantastic, and so I I believe yeah. in having heroes, and I think that it's fantastic when you get to meet your heroes. And I don't think that most heroes actually do disappoint. I don't believe that. Yeah, you know, uh, and it never stops being cool, and you never stop being a fan when you're a fan first. It like doesn't exactly. adjust. Yeah, exactly. In first, so. Yep. Yep. I still watch okay. in awe when she starts writing, and I'm like, "Wow, no." <laughs> okay. 
All right. Well, we write thank- Yes, we do. <laughs> thank you for being yeah. here. Uh, we should do it again. This is a. There's you know Please so much do. more to ask. Keep keep writing oh, yeah. because I love your books and. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that be- the thing. I, I write more stuff to do interviews. I like the interview. So yeah, there's a lot of writers <laughs> like man. I don't like the. I don't like the promotional process. I like talking to people. Like, I love it. That's you know. Yeah. That's, oh yeah. Why not? Nice. Well. We'd be happy okay. to have you back, your next one guest. So let's, uh, let's, yes. you know. Um, all right, uh, we are out of time. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Fred Venturini, for being here. Um, until next week, this is Thorn and Cross wishing you haunted nights and sweet screams. Thank you for listening. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.